Our Old Testament passage today picks up in 1 Kings chapter 9. At the end of 20 years in which Solomon built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. Okay, so king's house is one, house of the Lord is two, and that took 20 years. And Hiram, king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress timber and gold as much as he desired. And King Solomon gave to Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Wow. So, 20 cities paid for the temple and the king's house. But when Hiram came to Tyre to see the cities that Solomon had given him, they did not please him. Therefore he said, What kind of cities are these that you have given me, my brother? So they are called the land of Kabul to this day. Hiram had sent to the king 120 talents of gold. And this is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon drafted to build the house of the Lord and his own house and the Milo and the wall of Jerusalem and Hazor and Megiddo and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burned it with fire and killed the Canaanites who lived in the city, and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. Great. Now, you go into the city, you burn it to the ground, and then you give it to your daughter as her dowry? Wow. So Solomon rebuilt Gezer and lower Beth Horon, and Baalath and Tamar in the wilderness in the land of Judah, and all the store cities that Solomon had, and the cities for his chariots, and the cities for his horsemen, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. All the people who were left of the Amorites, notice these guys, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, who were not of the people of Israel, their descendants who were left after them in the land, whom the people of Israel were unable to devote to destruction, these Solomon drafted to be slaves, and so they are to this day. But of the people of Israel, Solomon made no slaves. They were the soldiers. They were his officials, his commanders, his captains, his chariot commanders, and his horsemen. These were the chief officers who were over Solomon's work, 550 who had the charge of the people who carried on the work. But Pharaoh's daughter went up from the city of David to her own house that Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Milo. Three years, three times a year, Solomon used to offer up burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that he built to the Lord, making offerings with it before the Lord. So he finished the house. King Solomon built a fleet of ships at Ezion Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent with the fleet his servants, seamen who were familiar with the sea, together with the servants of Solomon, and they went to Ophir and brought from their gold 420 talents, and they brought it to King Solomon. All right, so I want you to notice he has income coming into the country. Now, this is something that you're going to see come out again and again. One of the ways that Solomon lifted all of the standard of living of the people of Israel, I mean, the whole nation became very wealthy. Poverty was broken under Solomon's reign. But one of the things he did was he started bringing income into the country. They were not just building their own economy by consumption. There was income coming into the country. Now, now some of you wonder, 
Why does a nation want to be concerned about balance of payments deficit? Well, because it's just like a family. If a family pays out more money than it takes in, the family is losing. But if the family takes in more than it's paying out, the family is prospering. Is that correct? In the same way. A nation that is taking in more, we're, we're exporting products, we're exporting goods. A nation that is exporting and has a good balance of payments in the positive, well, that nation's prospering. And you'll see the whole level of wealth of that nation come up. You see it in China. It's come out of poverty because they're exporting to the world today. And as they export, income comes in, their balance of payments. So see this all the way back in the Bible. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She heard of the fame concerning, is a big term, the name of the Lord. She heard that this God of Solomon was great, and she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a great retinue, in other words, a big party, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. Solomon answered all of her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food at his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. Now notice what she looked at. She looked at the wisdom she looked at the house he had built. She looked at the food of his table. She looked at the seating of his officials. How did he treat his top officials? She looked at the attendance of their service, their clothing. So he, she looked at how do his employees get treated, including the cupbearers, and his burnt offerings, what he did for God. There was no more breath in her. Now, brothers and sisters, when people look at you, um, this is how we are evaluated. Not only our wisdom, but the house that we have built. How do we eat? How do we treat the second-in-commands around us? How do we treat the attendance of the people who serve us? How do we treat our employees? Are they dressed well? They're cupbearers. And what about their offerings for God? See, when people want to evaluate your, your prosperity, they want to evaluate your success, they're not just looking at um, what do you have. Now, I looked at a man one time who was an evangelist, and he was wearing probably a fifteen dollars or $20,000 watch. I'm not really good at that. He was wearing a big diamond ring, he was wearing very expensive shoes, very expensive clothes. In fact, the socks, because he asked me to take him shopping one day and where he bought his socks, he paid $200 for a pair of socks. And I remember thinking, grave, 10,000 pesos for a pair of socks. But okay, I saved his money, it's none of my business. But then when I saw his wife and I saw how she was dressed, I thought, mm -mm. a man must treat his family better than he treats himself. Jesus sacrifices for the bride. Hmm. So you, I never had him speak again. Never had him speak again. We are always being evaluated, not just by what we look like, by the assets that we have built, by how we take care of ourselves with the food, 
by how we treat our top assistants, by how we treat the people that work for us, and by our offerings for God. What do we do for the kingdom of God? People look at us, and that's the basis of evaluation. Here is the basis of how evaluated. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came on my own eyes and seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and your prosperity surpassed the report that I had heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants. Okay. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king. Wow. Because God loved Israel, he gave a leader. He gave a leader to bless Israel. Now that's something that you got to back up and think about for a minute. All right, because God loved a group of people, he gave them a leader that would bring blessing to them. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king. That purpose. You may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So spices, remember, spices were a big deal in the ancient world. Other than that, meat was pretty plain. Food was pretty plain. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which had brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almagwood and precious stones. And the king made of the almagwood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. Also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almagwood has been seen, has come or been seen to this day. Now, this is an extremely strong wood. And King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all that she desired. Wow. Whatever she asked besides what was given to her by the bounty of King Solomon. And then she turned and went back to her own land with their servants. All right. So the giving went both, both ways. Solomon was wise enough to know you just don't sit on the receiving end. If you want to have friendships, friendship has to go both ways. Now, do you have friends that always take from you? Do you have friends that whenever you eat, you pay and they never pay? Do you have friends that are always on the take and never bring you a gift? You're always giving them a gift? That's not how you build friendships. Solomon understood. Solomon had wisdom. He gave her beautiful gifts also. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. All right, so here is income for the nation. This is the balance of payments again. Besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land, King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. 
and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. And you know, first you build the throne out of ivory and then you overlay it with gold? Grabe. You think you'd want to show off the ivory. The throne had six steps, so you had to walk up six steps to sit down. And the throne had a round top, and on each side of the seat were armrests with two lions standing beside the armrests, while twelve lions stood there, one on each step of the six steps. The like of it was never made in any kingdom. So, all right, now you know I cannot draw, okay? Please, yeah, I can't even sign my name so people can read it. But if this is the throne, all right, and then this is the six stairs coming down, you've got a lion on each stair, and then you've got a big lion on each side of the throne. It's called the lion throne. And Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. Can you imagine? Silver is nothing. This is what a standard of living does. Everybody prospers. And so what used to be worth a lot is meaningless now. The king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. And once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. All right, so richest king in the world. That's Solomon. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Wow, 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 wow. Notice. God's work. This wasn't Solomon, the guy with the super IQ. This was wisdom God gave. Every one of them brought his present articles of silver, gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together all the chariots and horsemen. And he had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And Solomon made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. Now, if you've been with us to Israel, you understand. You don't find a lot of greenery, but you find a lot of rocks. Everywhere you go, there's stones. He made silver as common as stones. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the shelf. And Solomon's import of horses from Egypt and Ku, and the king's traders received them from Ku at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Assyria, future enemies. Now, in spite of all of Solomon's wisdom, there were things that he did that were really wrong. The kings of Israel were never to put their trust in horses and chariots. Remember? That was, that was a law that was laid down for the kings. But Solomon, he became an arms dealer. Now, there's no other way to say it. He sold weapons of war. This is like selling tanks today and airplanes today. 
he sold weapons of war, and part of his money came from the import and export of weapons. So there are things that are just, these things are not right, okay? And we'll go back and we'll put the verse in later where God told the kings of Israel were not to have horses and chariots. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Notice the word foreign, not Jews. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women. And from the nations concerning which the Lord has said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. All right, so here's also a not right. Neither shall they be with you, for surely they will turn your heart after other gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. Now, this happened. He clung to these in love. Now, straight up talk. Some of you young people, you have fallen in love with an unsaved person and you're clinging to them in love. Now, you know what? I'm glad that you understand what love is, but you need to understand what obedience is. Love is not going to get you into heaven. Walking in obedience to the commandments of God, that's what gets you into heaven. If you love God, you obey God. Now, sometimes, you young people, you don't mean to get your heart all messed up. You just thought, well, I want to be nice to them and I'll bring them to church. But the more you hung around them, your heart got involved. So young people, I just always tell you, never, never let your heart get involved. Because once your heart gets involved, it's really hard to extricate it from a relationship. Solomon clung to them in love. And I would tie this into unsaved courtship. It's going to hurt, but you need to break up. I'm sorry, you just, the Bible is very clear. What does light have in common with darkness? Okay, What fellowship does light and darkness have? I mean, the Bible, Paul was very clear. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his hearts after other God. All right. They did it. He had 700 wives who were princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Now, notice how often it says this. It says, they will, and they did. They will, and they did. Now, it's really bad when you look at the Bible, and the Bible says, this is what's going to happen if you do this, and you do it thinking that what the Bible said is going to happen is not going to happen. But it always happens. For Solomon went after the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of God and did not follow the Lord wholly as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. So, David, so Solomon built one altar for God. He built 700 demon altars. Because he wanted every one of these wives to be happy. So he built 700 demon altars. You wonder why his son Rehoboam was so hard in his heart when he answered the people. 
Rehoboam's mother was an Ammonite who worshipped Molech. Do you know how you worshipped Molech? You burned babies alive. Now, what do you think happens to a human heart? That as part of their worship, they hear the screams of babies being burned alive. What? I can't even hear, stand to hear a dog cry. What must harden in a human heart to be able to listen to children screaming as they're burned alive? And that's what Rehoboam grew up with. Going with his mother to worship Molech and listening to babies scream. No wonder he had such a hard heart. So, you know, sometimes trust that God knows what he's talking about. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Thank you. 
Our New Testament passage today picks up with Acts chapter 8. We were just preaching about this in our offering thought last weekend, Yvonne. Now there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and it amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was someone great. So here we have self-promoter. They all paid attention to him. From the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. All right, so he had everyone's attention. He had everyone's focus. Now, now sometimes you look at that and you go, how did these self-promoters get everybody to pay attention to them? Well, it said they paid attention to him, and those are important words. They paid attention to him because for a long time, he amazed them with his magic. All right, so for he had the reputation. Long time, he had the reputation. He'd amazed them with his magic. Now, the only problem happened is verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news, who is they? When, when, who is they? Well, here is the they, and here is the they. And here is the they, when the people, when this great crowd that surrounded Solomon, when, when this great crowd that surrounded, when this great crowd that surrounded Simon, believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, so he is saved. And after being baptized, saved and baptized, he continued with Philip, all right? So saved, baptized, and training with Philip. He continued with Philip. He's learning. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed, all right? <laughs> God amazes the fakes. God amazes the fakes. Throughout Scripture, you're going to, F-A-K-E-S, throughout Scripture, you're going to find fake people being confronted with reality. And here's one of them. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of the Lord. Now, this is Samaria. This is Samaria. All right. This is revival seeds planted by Jesus with the woman at the well. Remember, he spent two days teaching the people. Emphasis on the two days. When the apostles heard of Jerusalem that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Now notice, they received the word of God. Jesus is the word. They sent to them Peter and John. Now, there are many people, and, and please forgive me for this, there are many people who want to believe in Jesus, but not believe the word. Jesus said, if you hold my word in your heart, John 8, around verses 30 to 32, if you hold my word in your heart, then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free and you shall be my disciples. 
It takes more than just believing in Jesus. You have to receive the word. And you tie into this First uh, Peter. We are saved by the planting of the incorruptible seed. Whom they sent to them, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Okay, so these people are born again, but not baptized in the Spirit. So they're born again, they're water baptized, but they're not baptized in the Holy Ghost. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So when people talk about salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit being different experiences and other people say, no, they're not, they are very different experiences, all right? These are two different experiences. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money, all right? So, the baptism comes through the laying on, laying on of hands of the fivefold ministry. We don't find any place else in Scripture where church members laid hands on other church members to receive the Holy Ghost. This is something that was done by the fivefold ministry. Now, laying on for hands for healing, casting out demons, yes, everybody. But this is done by the laying on of the apostles' hands, not the deacons' hands, not the church members' hands. He offered them, the apostles, money, saying, Give me also, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So he wanted to buy ministry. Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right with God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness. Now notice he tells a born-again, a born-again person to repent. Born-again people aren't perfect. You and I know that better than anybody else. Therefore, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. Now, notice, God looks at intent. What was his purpose in wanting this? What was his purpose in wanting this? For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He said, now listen, you're born again. But sin has got you, and bitterness has got you. Now, we learned last weekend that one source of bitterness flows from a demotion in life. You know, and all of us, I mean, please forgive me, all of us are going to face demotions in life. When a person retires, you know what? There's a demotion in life. Other people have taken up the, the load and gone on. You know, I, I watch Dr. Cho, and I see that now Pastor Lee has taken the, 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 the reins of the church in Korea and doing great things. And Dr. Cho doesn't feel bitter that Pastor Lee is leading the church. One day, if Jesus tarries, others will run COP. 
And I'm not going to look around and go, well, nobody's paying attention to me anymore. Kawawa and get bitter. No, you, you look on and go, you know, this is the cycle of life. In all of our lives, there are demotions that we face in life. And we don't let bitterness get in. He wasn't a big shot anymore. Nobody was paying attention to him anymore. Used to be he was the number one attraction in town. Now nobody's paying any attention. And he wants the attention back. That was his intent. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you said may come upon me. Now when they testified and had spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. All right, so this goes to the rest of the Samaritans. Now there's no longer bigotry in apostles' hearts. See, they have been raised their whole life to be prejudiced against the Samaritans. In fact, in, the, in the, the Talmud, one of the Jewish religious books, they write, thank God I was not born a dog, a woman, or a Samaritan. They really looked down upon these people. They were considered half-breeds. And now we see these men, as they walk through, they, they no longer just pass through Samaria and have nothing to say. They've seen God touch the Samaritan people. And there's no bigotry, there's no prejudice left in them. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Now, okay, here's the guy who starts the big revival. Rise and go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And was returning, seated in his chariot, was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said, Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran over to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? All right, so this is how, how a conversation starts where they are. Look for an opening. You, you want to get your family saved. You want to get your friends saved. Wait until there's an opening and then jump in. Do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. Like a lamb, <laughs> the Holy Ghost knows how to set people up for the gospel. Like a lamb before his shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning, beginning with this scripture, okay, you start at the opening. He told them the good news of Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he, was ba and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And that's where Philip lived from now on.
This is where he had his prophetess daughters. This is where Paul would come to visit him on his passing through at Caesarea. This was the port city. The port city to Rome. Now, there's something I want you to see here. Because if you're not careful, you miss it. Sometimes we miss details because we don't look at the big picture of, of Scripture. Sometimes you look at the, ma the micro and sometimes you look at the macro. In the world today, there is, is a teaching called discipleship that does have some truth in it. But it, is, it has become a religion in itself and has been stretched like a rubber band so that a truth is no longer true. And people tell you that, you know, I'm going to disciple you and I'm going to stay in your life for the rest of your life. And really what they're talking about is control. Now, I want you to notice, if that is the pattern that God laid down, then God violates the pattern. If the pattern that God lays down is that one person gets involved in your life and stays in your life from now on, then God violates the pattern. Did you notice in the revival of Samaria, Philip left? The apostles left and went back to Jerusalem. And the people had to work out their own salvation. The people had to learn to seek God on their own. Everyone has a personal, individual relationship with Christ. Yes, churches were started. Yes, yes, yes. But they weren't dependent upon a discipler. They weren't dependent upon Philip. Now, if, if what modern discipleship teaches is correct, then God violated his own principles because he took Philip out of there and said, I want you to go someplace else. He took the apostles out of there and said, I want you back in Jerusalem. And then you get down here to the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, this is God's open door to, to go down to Ethiopia and start the revival there. You've got an inroad with a rich, influential leader in the Ethiopian people. So now you join yourself and you stay attached to this rich guy. No. The Holy Spirit took him away. They came up out of the waters of baptism, poof, the Holy Spirit took him away. There was no Philip discipling the rich guy and going down to Ethiopia and using the influence there to start the work of God there. You see, the work of God is not done like the work of man. The work of God is not about controlling people's lives. The work of God is not about controlling relationships. And the work of God is definitely not about principles of influence and, and, and the use of, of attaching yourself to people of influence. That, that might be good for marketing, but that's not good for ministry. Something to remember. Now, let's get into Proverbs for a little bit of wisdom today before we close out. Proverbs chapter 28, beginning with verse 21. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread a man will do wrong. Wow. Some men have a low price. You heard the old saying, every man has a price? Well, this is exactly what Solomon says here. For a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. <laughs> Some people have a low price. Showing partiality is never good. Learn to be fair to all. A stingy man hastens after wealth. All right. Who chases money? A stingy man hastens after wealth. 
it, it see, we, we think that it's rich people who chase money. No, it's a stingy man chases money. <laughs> and folks, I've known some stingy people in my life. In our family, we tell the story of Uncle Houston. Now, my grandpa was the oldest son. My Uncle Lester was the bunso. Okay? Grandpa was the eldest. Uncle Lester was the bunso. Uncle Houston, I think, was number two or number three of my great uncles. Uncle Houston was a stingy man. But he was a very rich man because he always chased after money. Now, he and my grandfather and Uncle Lester, really, I think it was five of the brothers and sisters that were all involved in full-time ministry. But Uncle Houston had a great ministry, and he was a good preacher. But he left the ministry for money because he was such a stingy man. I can remember visiting my Uncle Houston. Now, you've got to understand, our family. every family has one that everybody talks about. Uncle Houston, I heard about before I'd ever met him. They never bought new clothes. Now, this is a man who, when he died, was worth a couple of million U.S. dollars. And this was, oh, my goodness, he died when, oh, that would have been late 70s. And he was worth a couple of million dollars. He never bought new clothes. Even his underwear he bought at the Salvation Army. Bought an ukai ukai. He never bought new shoes. He never owned a car. He just always asked people to drive him. And because he was rich, people would drive him because they thought they were going to get something. I remember staying at his house when I was in Bible college. He'd already died and Gladys was still alive. I can remember staying at his house. The bathroom upstairs, it was a very, very old house. And it used to have one of those bathtubs that had the, the, the posts on the bottom. It wasn't built in, but obviously the bathtub had broken. And so they just went down and they bought a new bathtub, but it was the kind that you were supposed to stick into the wall because it had all the sharp edges and you had to tile up around it. They never installed it into the wall. They just set it in the floor. You could cut yourself on the thing. I slept on a couch and I thought, God, this thing is so uncomfortable. And so I picked up the, the, the little foam thing that was on top of the couch. There were no springs in this couch. It was just solid old telephone books all the way to the floor. Now, this guy died a multimillionaire. I could tell. I remember opening the refrigerator. And when I opened the refrigerator, the smell that came out of it, the only thing I could think was, if you eat any deadly thing, it shall not harm you. This was a stingy man, okay? A stingy man hastens after wealth. Now, you're going to have to make up your mind in life. If you are a generous person, God will prosper you. But if you are a stingy person... God won't prosper you, so you have to chase after money. A stingy man, let me say that one more time for you. If you are a generous person, God will prosper you. The generous man, the Bible says, will be himself be well watered. But if you are a stingy man, God won't bless you, so you're going to have to chase after. You're going to have to hasten after wealth. And does not know that poverty will come upon him. All right, so stingy always comes to poverty. This, this is the fruit. The fruit of a stingy life is you always come to poverty. Whoever rebukes a man will afterwards find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Have you ever had people just play the sip-sip game with you? You don't even like to be around them. 
Now, I'm not talking about a man who's critical and who's nasty and who thinks they're better than you and superior to you. Those are just jerks. But when you have a good friend who corrects you, you always look upon them with favor because they care about you. Whoever robs his father or mother and says there is no transgression is companion to the man who destroys. Wow. You say, well, there is no transgression. Why? Because it's my inheritance. No transgression. When young people steal from their parents, living in their parents' home and steal from their family, they are companion to the man who destroys. That's pretty ugly talk to close on today, but that's, that's where we close out. We'll see you tonight as we get back into how to save money. And tonight we're going to talk about money is not a good place to store wealth. It's one place, but it's more of a temporary place. How do you store wealth for the next generation? We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.